Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. How are you doing tonight? Joel, I'm doing wonderful. The Royals are currently putting a beat down on the Blue Jays on Thursday night. and uh, I am enjoying every single second of this. Jake Dunas is pitching wonderfully. Um, Royals are still going to be in first place in the AL Central, second in the American League. And I am just absolutely loving the, the start they've gotten off to um, in a lot of ways. So, a lot, a lot of good things happen here on my end. Oh yeah, don't, hey, don't let the Royals get hot, man. Don't, don't let them get hot. This is, this is a. It, it's been kind of fun so far this year. You know, I think the, the roller coaster of emotions that they put the fan base through to start has been kind of hilarious to follow, especially on Twitter. If you're, if you're plugged into to people that follow the team, but I mean, it's just good to watch baseball night in, night out, Royals or, or otherwise. I'm, I'm loving the beginning of the season. And we have a very special guest tonight as well. Joining us, he is the host of the Clearing Waivers podcast, which you can also find on the Royals Review Podcast Network. And he did a little bit of work for us at Royals Farm, uh, starting out before he kind of branched off to do his own thing. Josh Kaiser, how are you doing tonight? Guys, I am doing fantastic. I, I feel all jacked up from that energy that Duval brought. It's uh it's it's contagious is what that is royals up seven nothing like you said just absolutely cruising through these bum teams like the angels and the white Sox and now the the baby jays so boys i'm feeling great no honestly i'm just glad this game's not in dunedin because it would probably be like 14 to 11 right now at the at the pace they play with the way the ball flies out of that stadium so the 100%. friendly confines of the k are, are doing some doing some good for the royals right now Loving that left field corner tonight too. He's getting uh, Guriel's getting quite a bit of work they out there. They are absolutely bullying Guriel, hitting the ball <laughs> to him. And when you ha- and you're having a rough night, the baseball gods find a way to have the ball find you. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's uh, like you said, I you guys gave gave me my first break in the uh, Kansas City Royals coverage uh, uh, scene. So it's kind of cool to go uh, from you guys and then kind of transition to Royals Review, like you said, where we're at, and then uh, ultimately start doing the podcast. So we, uh, we appreciate it. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, here I am. So I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll go back down to Alex and just talk about, we're, you know, we cover the minor league specifically, but that season has not started yet. So we're going to start with what we've seen from some of the young guys and some of the rookies uh, early on for the Royals. When we last recorded, the, the last episode was a few weeks ago. Sorry about the, the delay on this episode as well. Alex and I do, unfortunately, have lives outside of doing all of this that has gotten in the way. So, uh, you know, Alex is a teacher and a coach, and I have a full-time job and a six-month-old child. So, you know, li- life outside of baseball as well. Uh, but Kyle Isbell made the Major League roster, as you all know at this point. On the last episode, we talked about the possibility of a Bobby Baseball making it. Isbell ends up being that guy. Uh, Jake Brents goes out of the bullpen. He was blowing 100 from the left side. Uh, you know, Carlos Hernandez, you know, before getting sent out the alternate side, I thought he pitched decently in a couple of spots. But, Alex, what are, what are some of your thoughts on some of the young guys that we've seen so far for this team? Yeah, Isbell, um, it, I, I think there's there's two distinct things I took away from his early debut is, A, he is very clearly not ready to be at the big league level yet. But, B, when he is ready and when his pitch selection is a little better and his pitch ID is a little better and his discipline at the plate's a little better, his tools are going to play. I mean, he was hitting I – mean, I should have had this pulled up. I knew you were going to ask me that, and I didn't pull it up. But he was hitting well. Like, the balls he was hitting were he was, he was doing fine with. And I don't think it was – it's a lack of skill. It's not like he got up here 
and my thoughts are, oh man, maybe he's just not good enough to make it. I mean, he was hitting 250. Like that. I mean, that that's 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 okay. Like for a rookie and his first go at the big leagues, hitting 250 is fine. There just wasn't a lot of power, and there's almost no walks coming with that. With striking out almost in half of his plate appearances. So my takeaway really was his skill set is going to play. I think he will be fine in the long run, but I think it's pretty obvious he just he got rushed here and. Um, you know, for better or worse, uh, he's going to need a little more time before he can be a productive big leaguer every day. But I am really, really um, happy with the way that his skill set played at his first uh, shot at the big leagues. For sure. And I, I, I'm i happy that Isabel ended up making the big league club. You and I have been really high on him really since the Royals drafted him in 2018. I think we've had him in our top eight or ten for his entire time in the Royal system. So, it's nice to see a guy like that get his opportunity. And early on, I mean, he was hitting the ball well, putting together really good at-bats early on. The results just weren't there. The league adjusted to him very quickly, which happens. You know, you see guys that will light the world on fire for the first 15, 20 ABs, and then they struggle for their next 15 to 20 or more because the league has adjusted to him. To them. Now it's him adjusting to that adjustment, which is going to happen, and he's going to be fine. I'm not concerned that about, you know, long-term that he's going to be striking out 50% of the time. He's not. I, I think his tools are absolutely going to play. He's played a good right field. He's run the base paths really well. And even in his at-bats where he's struck out or popped out, he's still putting together really good competitive at-bats more often than not. You know, he'll get overpowered. You know, I think the the down-and-in breaking ball is really what's getting him right now. But overall, he's, he's putting together enough – that you can see flashes of it even when the results aren't there. So I, I'm, I'm excited for what I've seen with him so far. What do you, what do you think, Josh? I mean, it physically hurts me to see him struggle like this. I mean, I have physical aches and pains because I, I want him to be so good. I, I've been like you guys. I've been high on his bell since, uh, since Jump Street, and he just kind of gets those freak injuries, gets you a little excited, and he has those freak injuries. And now it was time for him to kind of come up and, and prove, us, prove to us that it was time that uh, – that it was time to take the next step forward. 48.3% K rate is unacceptable. Unacceptable. That's Sully Matias type of stuff. That's not acceptable at a major league level. You take away those first two games where he had a couple hits in each one of them, put together really good plate appearances, it's 60%. 60% K rate. So, obviously, like you said, struggling, really, uh, really showing that he's not ready or at least just, you know, this is extra hard growing pains of a uh, minor leaguer getting his first taste of major league at bats. I will say, and I want to talk to you guys about this, the player comp for Kyle Isabel and his tools, where, where are you guys at? Because I've got a, a, an example of it here that we all very much are aware of, and he too struggled right out of the gate. But uh, I'm curious to see where your guys, what was your player comps for Kyle Isabel kind of coming into the season? In terms of value, I always kind of talked about David DeJesus, where it's not, not a whole lot of flash, um, some home runs, some stolen bases, but just a lot of consistently good at-bats, good defense in the outfield. Um, and David DeJesus, I don't know if people remember, I mean, he had four wins a couple times under his belt. I mean, he was just a very, very consistently good player. And so in terms of value, I think that's kind of where I pegged him. Is I don't think Kyle Isbell will be an all-star. I mean, he may sneak one in. But I don't think he's going to be an all-star every year or anything like that. But if he can be, a, a, you know, a, a just a two- to three-win player in your lineup that you pencil in 
uh, set and forget, you know, uh, in right field or even left center field, wherever the Royals need him. Um, and in terms of value, that's that was my favorite comp. But I think I know where you're going um, in terms of like Andrew Benintendi with the tools. Um, is that where is that where you're going with that? I, I can see the parallel to that as well, but it seemed like uh, uh, it was a little bit higher profile and maybe that's the case for the actual guy i got here but ben attendee does i mean the skills kind of definitely translate to a similar player than ben attendee for sure yeah so, ben what do you think? The, the guy out the gate that i thought of like the, yeah very the swing is fairly similar the tools kind of play the same way ben attendee just had a little more cachet as a prospect but you yep. can kind of see the similarities in the way they play the game uh you know it's decent enough speed it's a pretty it's a good glove not a ton of power, a ton of, you know, more gap to gap than anything, but can still, you know, run into one every now and then. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of right. I think the David DeJesus comp is really, really good because I think he was yep. a very underappreciated player for a long time. I agree. I agree. Was, those both, I think both of those. Too. The guy that I was coming up with, and I'm not saying that he's going to be at his peak, this guy. I think that he is going to be similar to the 2013-2014 version of Gordo, where he's going to play excellent defense – He's going to get into maybe 15 to 20 home runs, 15 to 20 bags, play really, really good defense. Uh, that's kind of where I was at. I like, kind of pegged him to be his ceiling was about, you know, where, where Gordo was in the middle. He's not going to have quite as long as a leash to, uh, to prove that he's ready to roll as Gordo did coming out. But Gordo's first 32 plate appearances, because we're talking about Kyle Isbell's first 29 here. He had a 395 OPS. 34.4 K percent zero walks and one extra base hit. And it didn't really get much better until mid June when he finally started to put a bet more at bats and kind of make him running into more of them. So I, I kind of like that Gordo was kind of the one that kind of came to mind when I first started talking about Isabel ceiling back in the day. And the fact that Gordo very much struggled like Isabel is struggling now uh, out of the gate also only about, I think it was 130 games at AA before coming into Kansas City. So not necessarily a large uh, minor league uh, development history underneath his belt either. Yeah, I think the the, the Gordo comp is interesting. I think the, the biggest difference you'll see is, A, the defense is not that, um, but B, the, the ability to walk and the ability to be on base. Like, I don't think Kyle Isbell's ever going to – you know, be a huge OBP guy um, where Gordo, that was kind of his thing there for a while, was, was a really, really, really good eye at the plate, walked a ton, even when he wasn't hitting well. Gordon walked a ton. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think Kyle Isbell has that to his game. Um, and you take away the gold glove defense and the, the crazy OBPs, and you have just, you know, a, 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 a solid player who doesn't have maybe the ceiling is Gordon, but I can kind of see where you're going with the yeah. with the with the tool set there. Could Isbell get to three twenty seven on base? Because that's what Gordo was in thirteen. Three twenty seven. Oh God, hopes I would hope 20, so. Twenty jacks and eleven stolen bases. Yeah, wasn't necessarily if, striking out a lot, not necessarily walking a lot, but that's kind of where I'm at. If Isbell can't put up a three twenty seven <laughs> on base, we got we got other issues. Yeah. So God, I hope so. But yeah, prior to that, Gordo was in like the three seventies, three sixties on base. So yeah, makes makes sense. So I'm curious to see. I mean, I I want to see Isbell succeed, like we said, um, but uh, he's going to have to prove a lot more than what he's done so far. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy that made his big league debut for the Royals this year was Jake Brents, uh, lefty throwing you know upper nineties, wipeout slider, and 
has overall been been solid. Five, I believe five or six scoreless outings to this point. Uh, fastball command's a little iffy, but when you throw as hard as he does, your margin for error is a lot greater. So, what, Alex, what have you thought about him? I He is proving his salt early that he can pitch in some decent high-lever situations and get outs at the big league level fastball slider. And we've seen it up to 100 fastball or sliders wipe out at times, uh, and he's only going to get better. Yeah, dude, I've been insanely impressed. Um, mostly because when you – I mean, this should speak for itself, but anytime you have a lefty that throws 100 miles an hour, like, you would have expected him to have made his big league debut by 26. So when I heard about walk issues, I was like, man, this guy's going to have like no clue where it's going. And if you go back um, through his minor league career, I mean, he had a, he never threw 40 innings at any given stint at any given level. Um, but like his last AAA appearance with Pittsburgh, 5.8 walks per nine. There's a, there's a, in a 20 inning stint, almost eight. Um, like I, I just anticipated like some serious control issues and he's been pretty good. Um, I mean, he has walked a couple guys, but I mean, it's not crazy bad. And for a reliever, if you're picking your spots, walking guys isn't the end all be all. Um, and man, I, I just, I, I, it makes you wonder. It's like, wait a minute, this dude, I, I don't know what adjustments he made, he's made, but I am, I am ecstatic with what I've seen so far. Like, there's reason to believe that what he is doing is completely sustainable because he has been all over the zone so far. If you have any thoughts, Josh, go ahead. I'm looking something up. He's, he's living on the fastball, uh, throwing it about 61% of the time. And like he's pumping that gas, baby. He loves to pump that gas. So I, I love that he's sticking. It's very, his minor league career was very weird. Like, like Alex kind of hinted at four teams, in a matter of eight seasons, and now he's just now 26. He had a lot of weird, short, you know, never never had that many innings pitched anywhere he went. Just a very interesting minor league career, and to make his major league debut with the Royals at 26 after that huge up-and-down roller coaster, if you will, it's kind of definitely cool to see. And when he made, he made his debut, he had his old posse with him, which was awesome to see as well. So I love to see that kind of support, but – Largely starting out as a matchup guy. Saw a lot of left-handed batters. And then Tuesday night, he gets brought in to see David Fletcher, Shohei Otani, and Mike Trout in a 3-1 to one, or a three to one lead in the seventh inning. So, obviously, Matheny is uh, thinking out a little bit more than just matchups at this point. He wants to see what kind of, uh, kind of flying he can do on his own. So, let the baby fly. Let it, let it all fly. Let's go. Well, who was it? Which one of those guys did he start with a slider? And it was like, man, he – one of those, one of those, one of the guys at the top of the Angels lineup, he started him off with a slider, and it was he dropped it right in for a strike. And I'm like, yep. oh my gosh! Like if this yep. guy's going to control that pitch, and he's going to have a very, very good uh, stint in the Royals bullpen here, um, because it's not just a hundred, like you said. It's if he can drop that slider in, uh, he's going to be unhittable at times because there's just that is just so much below coming from the left side that. Man, that after he threw that pitch, and I legitimately like that was kind of the I don't know if it was a turning point for me, but it sold me on Jake Brinks. Like, if he's going to be able to do that, like this dude's going to be really, really good. And the solid and the changeup is pretty solid too. You got a pretty solid change piece as well. Yeah, you look at some of the underlying numbers too. Like his expected weighted on base averages in the ninety fourth percentile, mm-hmm. ex slugging ninety fifth, expected ERA ninety fourth, hard hit percentage ninety fourth. Like 
a lot of the underlying stats are showing that what he's doing right now is it's legit. It's not a bunch of, of, you know, bad luck or good luck. I guess that, you know, guys are barreling him up and he's hitting right at people. He's missing barrels. He's not giving up a ton of hard hit balls and nothing is really, you know, if it's that it's, you know, it's a single, you know, there, there's not a lot of damage being done against him. And when you see stuff like that, especially from a lefty, I think the only lefty in the Royals bullpen right now, you know, it, you know, it's so important to have a guy like that that you can bring in. And for a bullpen, that's really, it's closer by committee at this point. I, I have, you know, we've had Wade Davis get one. We've had Holland get one. You know, Junus was really good. You know, he started tonight and he was fantastic. You need another guy and maybe he could be that guy in the ninth inning. We haven't figured that out yet. I don't think Mike Matheny's figured that out yet. Uh, it's really a hodgepodge at this point, but he's proving his worth early that he can be a guy in, high leverage situations you can bring in and get outs and punch tickets. I love the, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a defined closer and I'm all with it. That's totally fine with me. As long as the bullpen, you know, buys into that process, I'm into it. Especially if you have a guy like Brinson there, you got, you know, a lefty, right lefty coming in. That's Brinson's bread and butter right there. So give, give him the ball, let him throw. See, I, I agree and disagree. Like I, I think having, some kind of defined role is okay. But at the same time, like I don't want to have to rely. And I want to see some of these young guys come up and get outs at the big league level, because I really don't want to rely on old man, Wade Davis and old man, Greg Holland <laughs> in high leverage situations, night in, night out. Uh, if they need to give you one, you know, every once in a while, that's fine. They can still get outs, but I don't, I don't want those as much as those guys are Royals hall of famers. I, at this point in their career, I don't need them in the ninth inning every single night. I don't need, Bases loaded, sweaty Greg Holland, you know, relying on Jared Walsh's uh, crotchal region uh, saving the game for us. That was that the was, old trick play. They did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he spiked the curveball so that it would hit Jared Walsh in the crotch, and so it would end up right in front of Salvador Perez. It was all calculated. Was Walsh's crotch credited with the save that night? <laughs> it should have been. Should have been. <laughs> Uh, at least the hold at least the hold (laughs) well one more kind of unfortunate notes talk about on the big league side we'll get there uh nick heath was designated for assignment friend of the podcast uh one of the best all-around dudes uh, out there hope that maybe he he can find a way back with the organization freed up a 40-man spot uh we haven't seen much from him ever since spring training (laughs) You know, he had, he had a little bit of rough spring there in spots and really haven't seen him play since he had a, he had a couple weird defensive plays that like he dropped the ball or something like that. And I haven't seen him much since. I don't know what to make of him at this point. He only got 18 big league plate appearances. Really was just got relegated as a pinch runner when he was in the big league. So it, it sucks because I, you know, we've gotten to know Nick a little bit on, you know, on a personal level and he's such a good guy and I want him to stick in the bigs, but I, it, I hate that it had to come to this. It's it, yeah. it's it's a baffling move. Go ahead. It Go is. ahead, Alex. The only defense I've seen of keeping Daniel Tillo off the sixty day sixty day IL is that your gaming has that if you put him on the sixty day IL, they get service time. So the Royals, who we always love to applaud about not gaming service time, which I think is <laughs> ironic because I don't really know of many good examples of them, like, clearly not gaming. I mean, Brady Singer is the one. They clearly did not – I mean, he's the best example for the argument. But, I mean, I'm a little bit behind that phrase than most, I think, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, 
The only explanation for not having Till on the 60-day IL is because you don't want to start his clock, but you're willing to DFA. I mean, there's not many 80-grade tools in baseball, and Nick Keith has one. Mm-hmm. So you're willing to DFA an 80-grade tool of any kind to keep Daniel Tillo from garnering service time, or you're telling me that a guy that just started his throwing program is going to be back in the next 60 days to be in the bullpen? I don't think so. So I don't really know what's going on there. That move is so weird to me. Like, one of two things is happening. Either one, Daniel Tillo is going to be back sooner than we all realize, or two, they are totally gaming his service time by their willingness to DFA a player who, by the way, they were more than happy to, to parade around um, when they're, with their social justice campaign this offseason um, and then D, DFA him at the first sign of needing a roster spot um, this spring. And I should add, like, I am the last person to be critical of the Royals. I think 99% of what they do is very, very, you know, by the book. They, they do well by their players. They do right by their organization. But that one, I don't know where I'm at with this. He was in the Paint It Blue campaign. He was in that, that video going around. So you're like, yeah. is Nick Heath going to make the major league roster? I mean, they yeah, didn't use him for shit. They didn't use him at all in spring training. At yeah, all. That was, he got no reps. No, that was weird. I don't. And, and it was weird, too, because early on, he did. He, I don't know that, you know, dropped is the right word, but he kind of misplayed two balls in the outfield early yeah, on. It was like, who didn't in Arizona? Right. It's like all of a sudden we didn't see him anymore. So I don't know, man, maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes, but knowing Nick and like the type of guy and type of attitude he carries, like I can't imagine him having been a problem. So it's, it's really odd. It's really strange. And, you know, like I said, I like to give the Royals benefit of the doubt. I believe they're doing right by their players. I believe they're doing right by the organization, but it's just very odd, odd move there. And I mean, Nick Heath can can bring value to a major league team right now. Which right is now. why I'm concerned that he's not going to just end up, you know, go through the waiver process right. and end up back in Kansas City. You mentioned it, Alex. There's not many 80 grade tools in baseball right now, and there's a guy sitting out there, and a team goes, "Oh, wait, 80 grade speed? Okay, cool," and jump on that. And yep. so I don't think it's a clear. Like there are some guys that get DFA'd, and you're like, okay, they're going to clear waivers, they're going to end up going to Omaha, no big deal, blah blah blah. They're going to end up back in the organization. There's no guarantee like that with that with a guy like Nick Keith with no. his with his speed. So and they put him on the forty man a couple of years ago because there was a good chance they were going to lose him in the Rule Five draft. So it just like it just it doesn't make a ton of sense to me why they would DFA him unless there again like you said, Alex, there, unless there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. But I wouldn't think that that would be the case with as high character of a guy that Nick Heath is, you know, he fits everything that you want in a Kansas city Royal player. And it just, this one doesn't make a ton of sense to me at all. I'm with you guys on that. The, when we traded for Brett Phillips, I think I made the comment that Brett Phillips is going to become the most marketable player. The Royals will have seen in five, 10 years. Um, Might've been exaggeration. That's fine. Um, But I really genuinely thought that, Nick Heath could very well be that guy. He's got the charisma, very well spoken. He's obviously a handsome fella, and uh, he he had the opportunity to become a fan favorite. It seemed like every fan that's ever interacted with him has loved him, become a fan, absolutely a fan favorite. You you're telling me that Ryan O'Hearn is providing more uh, uh, upside than Nick Heath right now? Are you telling me that Irv Santana 
and his 38-year-old ass is going to bring more value to this Royals organization? you telling me that the Dan- or, uh, Richard Lovelady couldn't have provided the same kind of output that Urban Santana's bringing? You're thinking Angel Zerpa is not going to clear waivers? Nobody knows who that guy is. He's clearing waivers. <laughs> That's what? the thing. It's, so, it's like, I, I don't know, especially with Gerard Dyson, like, uh, okay, so and, and I don't mean to like beat the drum that Nick Heath should be on the major league roster instead of Gerard Dyson. What I mean is that you clearly value players like Gerard Dyson, and there is no player more like Gerard Dyson in your organization right now than Nick Heath. Than Nick Heath. I mean, maybe the, the, there, there are some style differences on the in, in the field. Like I, I don't know that Nick Heath will ever be the offensive threat that Gerard Dyson was. When you're telling me, like, right now, the the value that Gerard Dyson's bringing to the team, what you've told the team is we value people like Gerard Dyson in the clubhouse, even if his value on the field has diminished. Nick Heath is literally the – like the, they're, I don't know. I don't know. But um, I don't want to beat a dead horse for too long over a guy <laughs> they just cut. So, it just it – is, it is baffling and – it more sucks because, like we talked about, Nick is such a good dude, man. Yeah. And I just – I wish him all the best, but I would have loved to have seen him have this kind of success in Kansas City. And Lords Guriel finally caught one of those balls that's been hit at him. So, he <laughs> finally got to this. I'm, I'm still holding out hope that for some reason everybody's okay with the, where their rosters are. I, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the Chicago White Sox because they like to grab our, our trash off the street. Uh, they'd, love to, they'd love to go ahead and grab those ex-Royals. So, that's my team I'm keeping an eye on. They could use them on the base pass, but hopefully he clears and he's coming back to New York. Absolutely. You guys have any, any final thoughts here on you know, the big league club before we move down to the minor leagues here? I love uh, – there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of team spirit right now. Uh, it seems like the start of the year is carried over. Uh, the honeymoon period is almost done, and then we're going to enter the throes of baseball season with the Royals' momentum still rolling. So love to see you guys. We can hope so. I mean, we've seen flashes of, you know, the potent, the ceiling of this team. We've also seen some flashes of the floor. So, they're, you know, yes. we'll, we'll kind of we'll figure out where, where they end up falling. But, you know, lot, lots of – it's just – it's baseball season, guys. Let, let's just bask in that, if nothing else, right? That's right. All right. We're going to start hitting on some minor league uh, rosters and predictions and things like that as the minor league season gets closer here starting in the beginning of May. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. So tonight we're going to preview in some form or fashion a couple of the minor league clubs for uh, the Royals this year, uh, the low A and high A, which are brand new. If you did not know, it used to be the Lexington Legends and the uh, Wilmington Blue Rocks. Now in the, staying in the South Atlantic League, the Columbia Fireflies are now the low A team and the high A is now the Quad Cities River Bandits, one of the best names in all of minor league baseball uh, there in the Midwest League or whatever, the High A North or whatever the heck Major League Baseball tried to ruin <laughs> these stupid names with. Anyways, let's start in Columbia. Alex, you had the – they had a, like a couple – they've started to do inter-squad scrimmages and scrimmages with other teams uh, as the season gets closer. Who were who are some guys to look for uh, that are going to be in Columbia possibly? So the the lineup they ran out there is Michael Garcia at shortstop, um, which we kind of predicted here at the site. Daryl Collins at left field, which we also had. Um, Jake Means at third base, which is 
interesting. I think Jake hit well a couple of years ago when he came into the organization. So I don't know that I look too much into that, but kind of interesting that he's hitting third um, and playing third base for in Columbia. Uh, Kale Emsoff, uh, pumped to see what Kale Emsoff can do in a, in a, in a Royals minor league. So I say Royals uniform, but you know, minor leagues. Um, and I think there's a chance that by the end of next year, by the end of this year, heading into next year, He's the best catching prospect in the system. Mm-hmm. Definitely keep an eye on Kale Emsoff uh, there in Columbia. Uh, Brady McConnell was hitting fifth, playing center field. Um, Burl Dixon hitting sixth in right field. Crazy athlete. Um, phenomenal athlete. If anything happens with him, um, you know, there's, there is a ton to work with there. I'm not even going to lie. Schmidt at first base, I am – not clicking any bells right now. It's been a long day. Schmidt, first base. Anybody? Nope. Help me. Nope. Okay, I, that'll come to me. Um, and then uh, David Holly is in there as an extra DH. But the big one that I think Royals fans need to keep their eye on, like in terms of like a younger guy, like an Eric Pena, young. Uh, Omar Hernandez was catching, or I'm sorry, he, was, he wasn't catching. He was DHing, but he's going to be in Columbia. Is is what it looks like. So. Your catchers in Colombia, looking like a Kale Emsoff, Omar Hernandez. Omar Hernandez is young, and I don't mean I, I. When I say this out loud, people are going to lose their minds. This is not at all what I mean, but he reminds me a little bit of a young Salvador Perez, in that he's a contact-oriented hitter first, with a big frame that could grow into power, and he's really good behind the dish, like. I don't I, I know for a fact somebody's gonna listen to this go, you compare Omar Hernandez to Salvador Perez. No, I did not compare him to Salvador Perez. I said he reminds me a little bit of Salvador Perez. Raw athleticism, contact oriented hitter that could grow in some power. Like I don't think maybe Royals fans realize when Salvador Perez was in the minor leagues, he did not hit uh, for much power at all, if any, really. I mean, I'm getting ready to pull it up. But Salvador Perez, um, in the minor leagues, which Again, he wasn't uh, in the minor league stateside for too long before he came up in 09. Or I'm sorry, 2011. Um, his ISOs, when he got to AAA, 167. And AA, 143. He never hit 10 home runs in any minor league stint. Um, so, But he never struck out a lot either. Most of his strikeout rates were below 11%. The only time he got above 11% was when he got to AAA. It was 12%. Um, didn't never walked much, never struck out much. He's always had a good hit tool. Omar Hernandez, he reminds me of that, of that in a way. And if I'm not mistaken, Omar Hernandez is also from Venezuela. So you're saying he's Salvador Perez. That's what I'm hearing. I've already I was tweeted trying it. Actually. Really hard not to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I you tried. Know, hot, you know, hot takes and comps like that are sometimes good for for uh, on air stuff. So. They'll go. They'll I, go straight to the Royals fan base head. I mean, that's that's already a that's a set in stone, Duval. You, you've you've done it already. His grades, his defensive grades on fan graphs are both 55, 55 field, fifty five throw, and I'm here to tell you, it's not going to be that. This hmm. kid is really, really good behind home plate. Like future hit tool, by the way, fifty five. So 
I'm just and, throwing and it out there. Is usually a little more conservative on yes, their, they are. their grades, yep. aren't they? Yeah, I know. You're getting struck excited, out Alex. You got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the guy that yeah. I want to hit on is Daryl Collins. I, I mean, what he did in the the Arizona League, I think, because he was there with Bobby Witt in uh, in nineteen, wasn't he? Wait, yeah, he was like their best player with the, yeah, on the same he team. Was, his, his stuff is stupid. And you put him in there, and I bet there's a good chance we're going to see Eric Pena in that Columbia outfield as well. Uh, that is, those are two guys that are young with ridiculous tools and a ton of power. That is going to be the main storyline that I'm going to look at as the young outfielders. There are two guys that are going to. But by the end of the year, they're going to be two of the top hitting prospects in the system, you know, up there with Bobby Witt. And we already have Pena really high. I think we have him number five. And then we had him above Isbell, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think Daryl Collins was either fringe top ten or just outside. So these are two guys that are going to be, you know, I'm not sure how long they'll be in Columbia. They might spend the full year just because they're both, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. But – they're going to be two guys that the Royals fans are going to know about by name very early on in 2021, I think. Well, and one thing I kind of glossed over, we should probably give it the attention it deserves. Anybody catch what position Brady McConnell is playing? Yeah, I was going to say that was the yes. development that I wanted to hear about because he came out this offseason saying, I'm, I'm a shortstop. I'm going to be a shortstop. You can try all you want, but eventually, <laughs> like, like, I mean, I – it's really hard for an athlete when, when athletes are bred to be ultra competitive, right? They are taught to be competitive, competitive. You're the man. And if you're not confident, you can't be the man. Well, it is really hard for an athlete to also go, Hey, I play for the same team as Adalberto Mondesi and Bobby Witt Jr. I might need to find a different position to play. Like you just might need to find somewhere else to go. So uh, Brady McConnell in center field, um, I would guarantee you 100% he, accepted that mission with open arms. I guarantee you he did not fight that. I'm just – but, you know, if he's going to make it, he's got to find a place to play. He is crazy athletic, and I love the fact they've got him out there in center field. I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. Yep. I, I've been enthralled with him since uh, since he came into the organization, wanting him to – really rooting for him to succeed. And with, you know, with all the stuff he was going through and kind of took that hiatus, makes yep. me definitely root for him. I mean – uh, those are the kinds of uh, stories that I love to be able to look back on in an Alec Lewis story in the athletic and be like, that's an awesome story of, you know, overcoming your own mental, you know, uh, obstacles. I, I just love hearing stories like that. So uh, Brady O'Connell is a big one that I'm rooting for, for sure, wherever he plays. I mean, he can, he can do whatever he wants as long as he's, you know, in the game. Who are some of the pitchers that we, that are down there in Columbia? Were they, were they listed at all on that roster deal? Yeah. Adrian Alcantara is down there. Anderson Paulino, hundred mile owner of the hundred mile an hour fastball, and then the bunch of uh, Herbert Garcia is actually a pretty good um, name to know. Latin arm out of the Dominican, I think. Um, in any case, younger guy, uh, big fastball that I'm excited to see um, just kind of develop. In any case, like I thought there was a chance maybe he would start in Arizona, but if he starts off in full season ball, I think he's a guy. Royals fans should definitely have their eye on them. So, Adrian Alcantara is – he reminds me more of like um, – I don't – I don't want to say Brady Singer because he's not at all – he's nothing like Brady Singer. But in terms of like he's not going to strike a ton of dudes out. Like he's not 
overpowering fastball. He's not huge wipeout slider or massive hammer of a curveball. Like his stuff is really good, but he's a more of a pitch to contact, be crafty, get outs. Um, I don't want to say the hard way, but get outs the hard way. Not, he's not like a, like an Anderson Paulino who's here's my fastball and I dare you to hit this um, type of pitcher. But um, I'm really excited about Alcantara uh, regardless. All right, let's move on to Quad Cities. Can you give us the, the rundown there? You're, you're the one who has it pulled up. I don't. So you're, you're the one that's going to do it, and we'll go from there. That's fine. Uh, looks like Tyler Tolbert uh, led off and split time at shortstop with um, uh, Nick Lofton. And then Michael Massey played second base. Super excited about that dude. He reminds me a little bit of Kyle Isbell, where the tools aren't flashy, but the hit tool is really good. And I think the hit tool – combined his ability to defend the bag at second base um, is something we can all look forward to because if you can hit and play second base, you're going to move. Um, and so again, <laughs> kind of like, kind of like Kyle Isbell, um, nothing flashy, but a good hit tool. He defends the bag well. So um, we'll see there. Uh, Tyler Gentry out of the university of Alabama roll tied um, played right field, hit cleanup for them. Eric Pena, was in the quad cities lineup as a backup in right field. So I don't think there's any chance that he actually starts off in quad cities. I don't think I was talking to a Royals official. Whoa. Vladito just took Kyle Zimmer to the Miller light sign. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Tyler Gentry, Eric Pena, Eric Pena. I don't think he starts in quad cities. I don't think there's any way, uh, but kind of excited to see him getting run with him at the moment. Vinny Pasquantino, our guy, friend of the show, batting fifth, playing first base, making the jump from Burlington in rookie ball in 2019, making it all the way to high A to start 2021. Uh, Juan Carlos Negret back at high A. Um, we'll see. A lot of, lot of tools there. Uh, Mason – or not Mason. Um, Nate Eaton. Nate Eaton playing third base for Quad Cities. Michael Amodi catching huge power, like – Mike Zanino type of player there, all or nothing, decent defender behind home plate. John Rave in center. John Rave uh, hit an opposite field home run the other day in their scrimmage. And then you have, um, oh, man, Tucker Bradley. Tucker Bradley playing left field with the high A lineup. Um, another guy I'm excited to see, man, when he was at Georgia last spring before the season got canceled, he was playing his way into, like, the top three-round pick. Like, like – he wasn't going to Andrew Benintendi or Hunter Bishop himself to the top of the first round, but he was going to be close. Like he was absolutely crushing the baseball. Um, and then I want to mention really quick that Christian Chamberlain threw in that game for quad cities the other day, had an immaculate inning and reports where his fastball was up to 95. That dude. We'll see, man. He is funky and he is polished. And if his fastball is going to be in the mid-90s, I, I saw a report that over the offseason it was 97. If Christian Chamberlain is 95-97, what? I, he's a steal. Um, oh, yeah. So, so I'm excited about that. Uh, but this lineup for me personally to start the year, May 4th, will be the one that I watch the closest. Um, if there's a you know an opportunity for me to watch some minor league baseball, they're all on. I will probably have the Quad Cities lineup up the most often as long as I'm able to get their MILB TV up. Which, by the way, great news for minor league baseball fans. 
I got my email from MILB TV today and they renewed my subscription um, rolling right into this year, which tells me they're confident that May 4th, we're going to have minor league baseball. That's good. That is fantastic news for not only us at this site doing what we do, but for fans of minor league baseball in all these cities that were deprived of it last year, finally getting it back, you know, and, and you know, for a city like a, you know, like Davenport, Iowa, that, you know, where's your closest minor, you know, major league stadium to have that, you know, Columbia, South Carolina, it's a big deal for these guys. So I, I'm very excited for that. Looking at the squad cities lineup, there's a ton of dudes in there. I said, I seen Pena in that lineup is interesting, or at least with that roster is interesting. If he starts in quad cities, then the hype train is going to be, you're not going to be able to stop it for one thing, but you, when you, but there are just some really good college dudes in that lineup. You get you know, our, our guy, Vinny, we're going to, we're going to pound the table for him for as long as he allows us to, but you get Tucker Bradley and Tyler Gentry, right? That, that just knock the cover off the ball. And Tucker, the way Tucker Bradley was sitting in Georgia, like you were talking about, his swing is ridiculous. <laughs> it, it is – it's so good. Nick Lofton is going to be really intriguing as well, I think. Really a ton of versatility, but plays a lot of short. Um, you know, I know people want to compare him to Witt. He's not that. But he's a, sol- he's a solid ball player. Probably going to be a big leaguer in some capacity. As You know, I think he's athletic enough to kind of bounce around and be a, a super utility type. And, you know, Christian Chamberlain, I, I – you know, I was, I'm a lefty. When you talk about a lefty throwing 97, that just does things for me. That's why I love watching Jake Brent so much. Uh, if he has a changeup, uh, I don't know if I'll be able to – it might be NSFW watching him pitch. Um, but I, I'm, I'm excited for what this lineup in high A is bringing. Uh, there are a ton of guys that the Royals have done a really good job in talent evaluation in the draft the last couple of years, and we're going to see it all come together for those guys right there. And, I mean, Wilmington won the – you know, the guys in high A a couple of years ago, they won. And this team is just as good, I think, even though they don't have the prospect cachet that that, that, that uh, Wilmington team did a couple of years ago. They're just a bunch of solid ball players that, you know, there aren't a ton of crazy flashy tools and, you know, and all that. But they're just, they're just solid ball players, which in Kansas City, you can't help but hey, you can't help but love that. The Quad City Grit Bandits is that the new team name? The grit Bandits, just grit Drake from top is to bottom. Love that one. Yeah, shout out to Drake, <laughs> carrying the grit cross for uh, for my guy out there. The Grit Bandits, that's actually you, pretty good. I, I like. I'm that excited a lot. about this lineup, man. And Tyler, yeah. by the way, Tyler Tolbert leading off. I don't know. Royals fans are super familiar with that name. He is insanely fast. Um, I don't know how many stolen bases he had. I'm going to look it up very quickly. Uh, there he is, Tyler Tolbert. When he was in rookie ball a few years ago, 2019 draftee, he stole 28 bases in 50 oh, games at the rookie level while hitting nah, – he didn't hit very well. But, uh, again, 28 stolen bases, like that's – the dude can fly. And, by the way, like I knew he was listed as like a shortstop. I mean, what is Fangraphs? Fangraphs has him as a center fielder. So, by the way, just – Mentioning the fact that he was playing shortstop is kind of cool um, because I always remembered him as being a center fielder. So um, I, I'm going to follow that one very closely among all the college names that we mentioned, Tyler Tolbert um, is definitely someone Royals fans need to be very aware of, especially in a lineup that looks like this could be their opening day lineup, right? You got Michael Massey, Nick Lofton, Tyler Gentry. 
Vinny Pasquantino. Like, most of these guys look like they might start day one. To have Tyler Tolbert leading off playing some shortstop, um, very, very cool development uh, to see there. And we've, if we've learned anything tonight, it's that shortstop and center field are interchangeable, right? You can play <laughs> one, you can play the other. That's what I've learned, it seems. I guess that's what we're going to – Bobby Witt, Nick Lofton, yeah. Tyler Tolbert. I mean, Mondesi was in the, in the rumor mill to, to hop to center field at some point too. So, interchangeable. Yeah, that's, apparently, that's, just, that's, that's, what, that's where Derek Jeter went wrong. See, he was meant that's, to be a center fielder. <laughs> I can't wait till Mike Trout loses a few steps and he starts hitting center field. <laughs> I'm sorry, starts hitting shortstop. So uh, this is completely unrelated to anything regarding what we were talking about, but it does involve Eric Pena. Uh, Josh, you're an MLB The Show guy. Mm-hmm. They have they're doing a prospect series card, like the gold prospect series cards, like we did last year. Yeah, the Royals prospect card this year is Eric Pena. Got Love an 84 it. overall gold card, so Love he it. is in the game. So that's pretty damn cool. That is awesome. I, I knew they had the uh, Bobby Witt card last year, and the Khalil yes. Lee card was uh, one of the fun fun ones to play with too. So. Yeah, yeah that, I'll be I'll be jacked to play with some Eric Pena. That's for sure. Switch yeah. hit and give it to me, baby. Yeah. Oh, Witt got like a future, like a prospect card. He never got a yep. future stars. I need a Bobby Witt future stars card. Yeah, I'll spend all my money on that one. I'm sure he'll get one this year. The hype is too real right now. He's got to yes. be future star level at this point. Bobby baseball is going to be one of the best storylines in all of minor league baseball to follow this year and see what the Royals actually do with him. Because yep. I mean, there were legit rumors that he was going to make the big league club. Like there, I there was, was starting there them was all. Smoke. There was some smoke to it. Um, but I mean, he's going to go to double A and smash the ball. I, I have, I get a really sneaking suspicion that we still see him at some point this year. Ooh. I don't want to speculate too much. because I know Nothing. I have no inside information, but I mean, Sorry, he, I, I tweeted that just now too. So we've got two big breaking news so far tonight that's coming from my account. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sources say Bobby Witt Jr. to the Royals at some point this season. I, I appreciate you you breaking that news for us. Yep, you know, you, you stealing the scoops. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you guys have any final thoughts here on this episode? Anything else? Uh, I wanted to mention really quickly – uh, that my guy leading off at double A for the Northwest Arkansas Naturals the other day was one Rudy Martin. Um, Rudy Martin also fast as shit. Um, Rudy Martin, I'm going to have to look him up too because Rudy Martin has stolen an insane number of bases in his young career. Um, Rudy Martin, I say young, Rudy Martin is 25 years old, so he's been. He's been hurt so often, but Rudy Martin has separate stolen base seasons of 26 and 29 uh, in A-ball so far. In the 26, he stole 26 bases in 37 games at low A. The kid can absolutely fly. And, by the way, before 2019, his worst – well, not his worst, but really he'd been above league average at every single stop along the way. So he'd been really good. Um, hitting the ball. He struck out a little bit, but he walked a lot. He hit the ball well. Um, kind of like one Nick Heath in a lot of ways, where a lot of stolen bases, too many strikeouts for a guy who doesn't steal, for, doesn't hit for a lot of power. Um, but he also walked a lot to keep, his, to keep his offensive value high. So I don't know that Rudy Martin will ever be anything at this point in his career. But to see him leading off, just to see him healthy playing baseball, um, what was really, really cool to see. 
Well, well, yeah, I guess we'll do that next week. We'll talk about double A and triple A. I was about to get into that, but this episode's already gone long enough, I think. Uh, hey, Josh, Wait, I have to see- mention, before we leave double A, we can talk about the rest of the next week. Jeffrey Del Rosario threw a short – it was a brief outing the other day on April 14th during their, start, during their game, but he's healthy. That's the great news. Jeffrey Del Rosario news. is healthy. He is pitching. I could not be more excited about that. We've got Jeffrey Del Rosario still ranked really high in our rankings. There is a ton of talent in that arm. If he can stay any kind of healthy and, and be any kind of available for this team, holy cow, what a bonus he is. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Well, we Thank will you. get into Northwest Arkansas and Omaha preview next week. I think by the time we do that, the minor league season will be right around the corner, and we will have actual minor league games to talk about which is so great, not just stuff we've heard on backfields and whatever else. Like, we have actual tangible stats to talk about, which we haven't had in a very long time. So that is, that's going to be very exciting. Josh, thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to need to do this again soon uh, because that was a, this was a ton of fun. Plug your show, your social media, all that stuff before we get up on out of here. Um, you guys can find me. It's a great Twitter follow on Twitter, at JoshKaiser40. Um, still writing for Royals Review. But the uh, the main creative project that uh, that we're talking about is the Clearing Waivers podcast. Uh, me and a few buddies uh, started a podcast. We thought there was a void of you know Kansas City sports coverage where it was very lighthearted and, and foolish almost. Um, but we still like to have a lot of fun on there, play a lot of good fun games and stuff. So um, you guys have been on it uh, probably about a year and a half ago, and we're going to have you on again soon as well. But you can find us at uh, theroyalsreview.com as well as anywhere uh, you get your podcasts. And Joel, I've, I've, I've heard this podcast. I've listened to you guys so much. There's one question that you always ask the guest, and I have a prepared Holy answer. Shit, I'm ready you're for it. Right. You are, you are a guest on here. Yeah. If you could go back and watch one moment in baseball history live and in person, what would it be? I'm going to make it kind of quick, but I could say when the Royals won it against the Mets, I wanted to be at that game, obviously. Uh, I could say like the Willie Mays over the shoulder catch, always great moments, but there was a time. Boys and girls, we just celebrated a 20-year anniversary of the stars aligning perfectly of the time Randy Johnson murdered a bird <laughs> with a pitch. And you cannot tell me that that would not be awesome to see live. So if <laughs> I could go been... back and watch any stupid, ridiculous moment of baseball history, it is the time that Randy Johnson, one of the best hurlers of all time, killed a bird with a pitch. It exploded like, like a feathery PETA nightmare. It was glorious. PETA nightmare. <laughs> That would that had to have been one of the most confusing moments to ever see live. Absolutely, like you're like, wait, what just happened? Like I can't imagine the the dude, the dude that's about six beers deep in the outfield, like has no idea what's going on and just sees something explode before the ball gets to home plate. Yeah, you think it was like an April Fool's joke? She's like, did they just throw a a ball full of bird feathers? No. No, that wasn't what happened. He hit a bird. Well, there, did you see the interviews with the guy at the plate? No. No, I haven't. They, uh, man, I just saw it on Twitter. It was for the anniversary of that. Um, they interviewed the guy at the plate because I thought it was a joke. Like, I thought he threw, like, um, like he threw <laughs> something that would come apart at me. He's like, I had no idea. He's like, nobody could find the ball. He's like, so we just assumed he had, he had tricked us. Yeah. And I was, I was watching that thing, and that is hilarious. Can you imagine showing up to the ballpark high that day? Unbelievable, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, my luck is I would be granted the wish to go back in time and watch that be the guy that was six beers deep and completely flake on it and completely miss it. It's like, this is my shot to, to go back in time to watch the best history moment in baseball history. And I was too drunk to realize it. Classic Josh Kaiser right there. <laughs> and that, that's also an incredibly unique answer because most people it's like, Oh, I'm going to go watch this world series game, but this is short. Nope. I'm going to go to a random spring training game. Where Randy Johnson throws 102 mile an hour fastball. Throw it's, it's completely my style. I love to love to be the guy that thinks up stupid answers like that just to just to throw people off. But it would be a great story to be able to tell forevermore, forevermore. It's evergreen. Knowing you, Josh, that is a very on-brand answer, and I'm so yep. glad you went that route and didn't just stick with the world, the Royals winning the World Series in 15. Sure, sure, sure. sure. While we're while we're on this topic, it, if we're if we're just thinking of silly stuff. I was at the game when my cousin Vinny – I don't even remember the dude's last name. Vinny – what was that dude's name? Vin Vin Mazzaro. Vin Mazzaro. Vin Mazzaro gave up like 14 runs to the Cleveland Indians by the second inning. And by the time the second inning had come around, it was like 9-0, 10-0. The Royals fans, all 40 of us in the stands, (laughs) were rooting every time Cleveland scored. Like Cleveland would (laughs) score and you'd hear this like – You'd hear this like roar of like mockery, and I, my dad and I stayed at that game until like the seventh or eighth inning. And I swear to God, if you can go back and watch the game, I would bet you, I would bet you a case of beer. There were less than five hundred people in the stadium when the game ended. That's I would take the under on five hundred for sure. I, I I remember that game. Yeah, I'm taking the under on that one. Because <laughs> that is like the, my the sneaky part about that is it was like. Three and a half hours for the first four innings, right? I don't know that it was that long, but, I mean, the first two had to take an hour and a half to two hours. Right. It was insane. That was that 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 ridiculous. Just like ridiculous moment to see in person. Yep. And I'm blanking on one. And I hate that I'm blanking on one because I – this is what I do. (laughs) Nori Aoki taken – Taking you know, a shot to the C and B's was would be a pretty good one too. That's always a great gift to see pop up on Twitter timeline. I'll uh, I'll I'll blame my my brain fart here on lack of sleep from having a six month old child. Congratulations <laughs> on that, by the way. Thank you, thank you. And congratulations are for to Alex as well for the for the upcomer. It's uh, very exciting. Being a dad is great. So you guys are gonna be good. But other than that, guys. Really appreciate you having me on. I would love to come on whenever you whenever you have me back, if you want to have me back. But uh, we will uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, I got man. The, Thanks, guys. And, yeah, there with the Clearing Rivers podcast, if you didn't already know, is on the Royals Review radio. So when you find this, you'll be able to find all the Clearing Waivers episodes, at least three or four that they've posted since they've joined our podcast network. So be sure to check them out. Follow us at Royals Farm. We'll talk to you all next week. Take care. <laughs>